a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Our next guest is a member of one of the most iconic punk groups of all time. Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables gets a remix treatment coming out on September 30th. You can pre-order it now wherever you get your music. Welcome to the show for the first time, the one, the only, East Bay Ray from the Dead Kennedys. How are you, man? Uh, hello, folks. Hello. <laughs> Do you think 42 years later we'd be sitting here talking about this record when you were originally recording it? Uh, no, actually, we didn't. Um you know, we were just we were writing songs and doing the best we could, and um, it, tur- it turned into a. You know, at the time we were just doing it, and you know, and as you know, or some not you know, as people know, we kind of uh, stopped playing uh, the original lineup. Started stopped playing in '86, and you know, we thought we'd have like have to get day jobs in about two years. But but it turned out like the the music was discovered. Um, like Nirvana was influenced by it, and and since then it's just uh, we've turned into a classic. But that you know, but we were just playing music that we really liked, and everybody in the band was you know talented. Klaus, D H uh, Biafra, and in my view, it was a is a classic case of a collaboration because you know none of us have really you know written any we've done music we've all done music but nobody's done a classic song uh you know i mean like you know morrissey's gone on to a big career and uh you know even danzig and the misfits went on to a good solo career yeah Uh, johnny marr has a good career but it's not the you know it's not the smiths so it's a case in a collaboration where two and two equals five yeah. Well, it worked out. Uh, I'm going to ask you this, just in terms of the start of the band, because it, it, I was around in the 80s. Jeremy wasn't, but I was around. We were in the in the time of, you know, shock rock and big shows from Kiss to Alice Cooper to David Bowie to Queen. And of course, the disco age and, and Greece and, and and the Dead Kennedys were the the exact opposite of all that. Talk to me about how you went down that path and not become a disco band or a new wave band or one of those bands how did you choose to become sort of this political uh, in your face kind of band well we were uh, um you know saw, saw what was happening in england like the, the the sex pistols and the clash and to at least for me you know uh it was you know getting back to the uh the kind of craziness of rock and roll like a little bit of like careening down the road, maybe going off the tracks. And, um, and what happened is, is uh, there's a club in San Francisco, the Fab Mab, which was uh, for people who don't know, it's kind of the CBGBs of San Francisco. And um, I was uh, in North beach and went and saw a band, um, the weirdos from LA and the little hairs in the back of my neck stood on in. And I went, this is what I want to do. So and um, um, and uh, and I'm a musician. I can play my instrument. <laughs> right. <laughs> the thing was is to is to find people that could actually play. I mean, the 
the myth back then that it was just three chords and you didn't have to play, but that, you know, that never really was true. I mean, Ramones used a little bit more three code, a little bit more than three chords and, and they can yeah. actually play. I mean, they rock out. I mean, rocking out is something that you can't really learn in, you know, guitar Institute. Of hey, come on. Johnny's one of the best players ever. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, so I put ad I put an ad in the paper and I put some ads up in some record stores, uh, local record stores, and that's how it started. Who were the uh, bands that were kind of like aside from that? I mean, the weirdos and stuff. Uh, who were the bands that were sort of influencing you? I mean, like uh, it wasn't the Beatles or the Stones. It was was it like the Danzig and Misfit guys or like was it the punk bands? Like it was the oh, Pistols. Uh, wow. I think actually, I think maybe we're starting, well, two things. I think the Ramones were, you know, they were kind of the kickstarted it. I mean, when they started, their punk didn't really exist when they yeah. started, but they, but they were kind of like the, uh, the godfather of it in a way. Mm -hmm. um, the Ramones, uh, yeah. And like, I thought the Sex Pistol record was really, really great. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, it, but I have to I have to admit I've also li I've listened to the Rolling Stones pretty much all my life. So yeah, <laughs> I was just watching band. the uh, the uh, like the series they did on the Pistols on uh, I think it's on Hulu or something, and I thought it was really interesting to see that like Johnny Ron was a huge reggae fan, and I was like, well, how does a reggae fan go into making punk music? I thought it was so bizarre. So I mean, we just spoke to uh, John Dell from X, and we're talking to a lot of punk guys, and it's it's kind of here. It's cool to hear how like the influences that they were listening to, but then they became punkers. Like it, it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, in my experience, you know, meeting a lot of musicians, uh, uh, any good musician, and no matter what field they're in, actually listens to all sorts of different kinds of music, mm -hmm. and that kind of influences thing. Um, uh, I mean, that's kind of rock and roll. Really, is is kind of a, a an inf you know, a gospel and blues meets country and western and and Cole Porter pop music yeah. in a way. Uh, and 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 I'll really blow your mind then <laughs> because uh, in the seventies I was listening to Ohio Players. There and, you go. Um, and and then when we would do songwriting sessions, like on Klaus's sofa. Uh, you know, acoustic guitar songwriting sessions, and I drive across the bridge to San Francisco. I would listen to Merle Haggard. Wow! wow. And, and and you came from surf music yeah. too, right? Well, actually, not that much. That right. I actually right. use an echo unit, and that was inspired one by Scotty Moore of um, you know Elvis Presley's Sun Sessions, mm -hmm. like Mystery Trains, one of my favorite all-time songs, and then the other one was um, Sid Barrett's use of the echo in. Um, uh, their first record, uh, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, I believe, yeah. um, Echo Unit. So actually, I was, I was uh, kind of my background is actually more psychedelic. But uh, you loved like the effects on the guitar and stuff like that. Yeah, right. And one of the things is, is, is uh, in, in, I did grow up in California. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, uh, Cal grew up in the California suburbs, and and I'm proud of my culture. Yeah, <laughs> and and of course, you know, surf music. Like the older kids in the neighborhood at the time were playing surf music, so of course I heard it, and it went in. You know, came came into my soul, I guess, so to speak, by yeah. osmosis. Um, and the other thing, you know, it, both in psychedelic music and surf music, you use a lot of like mid eastern scales. Yeah, so very they, true. so they can they, so they can. Um, uh, 
so that they can they, they can have similar musical roots. I think the difference is is you know psychedelic uh, bands tend to be a little bit more dreamy and slower paced, mm-hmm. while surf music has the you know the hot beat like you know like Wipeout. Yeah, exactly. Is, and then and that, and so and so the punk the punk tempos and drum beats are very much related to surf music rather than you know psychedelic type music. So anyway. Yeah. And it's funny, like a lot of those songs and like a lot of those genres, like they all have that sort of that, I, I, I don't know how to describe, but they all have that note that goes kind of like, I don't know if it goes like a, like a half step or something, like it all has, it all kind of has that similar kind of surfy note. I can't remember what the heck that note is called. Cause I remember somebody called it a really funny note one time. Cause everybody, you, you know, Black Sabbath has the metal note, the, uh, the evil note, barrel, <laughs> barrel. <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, there's. I mean, you go up a in in you go up a half step from the root is is you, you takes you off to Spain and, and the Middle East. Yeah, exactly. And the double note is is the flatted fifth is That's the uh, the devil's interval, which actually is in a lot of Dead Kennedy songs. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've used I've used that a lot. Um, it's funny you were just doing, you did an interview with um, Premier Guitar. You did sort of like a rig rundown. And I thought it was interesting that you're only bringing out a, a Schecter S1 these days on the road. What's what's it about that guitar that you gravitated towards and want to leave everything else at home? Oh well, it you know it work it works. Um, uh, the thing is, is uh, you know Klaus and I had an experience a number of years ago where our gu- guitars were uh, um, you know going through baggage and got stolen. Oh shit. So, uh, so I, I'm not going to take anything on the road that I, you know, don't want to lose. So yeah, the Schecter you- guitars, you know, the Schecter guitar is kind of an off the rack guitar that, um, the thing I like about it is, is it has Seymour Duncan pickups. Can't go wrong. Which, which I have in my, which I have in my, all my other guitars pretty much, except for the vintage ones. Um, the Seymour Duncan pickups just, you know, they, they, they have that magic fairy dust on them you know the guys really studied how uh yeah you know old pickups were made and there's all sorts of you know non-scientific non-engineering stuff happening that that he that he's really good at duplicating copper wrapped around magnets i mean <laughs> right yeah but, can't go wrong with that um yeah. you got you got to pot them dip them in wax so they don't feed back and all that stuff. i'm a bit of a nerd I mean, oh, yeah, Eddie Van Halen was doing that to, to his pickups, you know, rewrapping, dropping them in the paraffin wax. He talked about how many pickups he would fuck up just because of, you know, experimenting. Like, were you a big tone chaser back in the day? Or are you still doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I basically went through, I mean, my original guitar was a it was a uh, Japanese copy Telecaster oh. that, I, that I put a Gibson humbucking pickup. In, oh, damn! Which, Did you have to chisel it out the space and everything. Oh yeah, well it was it was like I bought it at a pawn shop for a hundred bucks. So nice. So I was really willing, to, uh, really. Uh, it was fun to experiment and, and it worked really well. Um, I'm trying trying to trying to find a guitar company that would like to duplicate it. <laughs> yeah. But, and I eventually replaced the 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 humbucking pickup with a Seymour Duncan. But I do it opposite of most people with the Telecaster. The humbuckers at the bridge. And then I actually near the neck, I actually put a Stratocaster pickup oh, to get the single. I really love the single coil sound of, of the pickup near the neck. Mm-hmm. Were you going through a lot of different amps at the time trying to find your tone? No, couldn't really afford amps that much. But right. uh, <laughs> the other the other nerd aspect is I, I have a I had I have a still have it a Fender um, Blackface Super Reverb. Oh, cool. 
and I'm and actually I, I am a nerd. I, I went to uh, can read a schematic, so I actually rewired it. Um, wow. I, I took one tube and rewired it into the other tube, and basically got a schematic of like a Marshall amp. Yeah. So I kind of duplicated the Marshall amp. It's similar to what it's actually how Mesa Boogie started. They started with a Fender circuit and then just took one preamp and pushed it into the other preamp tube to do the overdrive. Over so that's actually, the whole thing. Yeah, that's actually what I used on Fresh Fruit. And then after that, I got wow. a Marshall, which the Marshall sounded better than my homemade job. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I did technically? Uh, I signed into Zoom today. It was it was amazing. It was, it was oh right was well, good. You, did be, you did better than i i did just like yeah i i i, I, I had i did an interview last week and I, I realized my zoom hadn't been updated in three years good oh, yeah yeah so i made the mistake and and, and they're the uh, well anyway uh, i made the mistake of updating well okay i'm gonna i'm gonna update it this morning and then and then the link that came in wasn't working it's like oh right god um i want to so ask you quickly it, about you know, uh I think I think there needs to be a federal law that they can only update once a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be that would be more than enough because it's it's every like ten days. Uh, I want to ask you just real quick about imagery in the band. I mean, obviously, on uh, Fresh Fruit, you have that picture from the, those riots that that came out of the Harvey Milk thing. You mm-hmm. had uh, the, the what was that album called? The, uh, the 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 one that had the penis landscape in it. Uh, Frankenchrist had the penis landscape in it. And of course, your logo is iconic. So, just just talk to me about the importance of imagery and and choosing the right image and and creating that that conversation or that buzz or 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 the protest, whatever you want to call it. Just people looking at what you're doing, going, "Oh, okay," and they take notice. Yeah, I mean, we're we're you know one of you know to me, punk rock's a spectrum. Like at one end, you have Sid Vicious, which is like like you know drugs and idiots and uh, ignorance in the other end you have like uh, johnny rotten who's you know smart smart and sarcastic you know we we tended to be on the smart and sarcastic side of things so uh you know and at the time at the at the punk scene back then there was like there was fanzines xerox fanzines and and all the posters were like xerox and you know you do cut and paste and put yeah. stuff on it's kind of very very diy stuff so that aesthetic kind of transferred over um and the you know the basic the basic uh well some people ask us well you know what the name means um and and for us uh, you know at, at one time we were all I- idealist and america was idealist idealistic um um and and the american you know the idea of hope and progress kind of died when JFK and Robert Kennedy were assassinated. You know, the mood of the country, the hope and hoping to solve problems and bring everybody up kind of like went away. Yeah. And hasn't really, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't, I wasn't uh, voting age then, and but I don't, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know of any other president that had that kind of, you know, was it Camelot? They called it Camelot. Yeah, and then the American dream just kind of like crumbled, and we're still kind of like now things are worse. <laughs> when we yeah, were started, it was uh, when we were started. It was just Reagan. Now, I mean, we had uh, no idea that it would get this worse. Uh, but I'll, I'll take ten Ronald Reagans over what's going on right now any day. <laughs> yeah, well, the you know the 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 thing people don't realize it's 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 the uh, it's the business model of Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Mm-hmm. 
are um, basically that's called surveillance capitalism. Look it up, folks, where they track you, track you and and modify your behavior. And and they're they're the way they make money is about the number of eyeballs. And the bottom line is is they make more money with hate and anger and than they do with cat videos. Yeah, and it's funny because I just saw that in uh, the the Uber leaks where they were talking about how uh, mm. the drivers getting attacked was actually good because it 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 raised sympathy for the company and it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they, one of their drivers attacked. Great. Make no mistake. Uh, uh, some um, David Lowry of Practor and John mm-hmm. McRae of Cake and I a number of years ago were doing artist advocacy. Um, uh, 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 trying to make uh, the internet fair for content creators, right? Mm. And, and we we were reviled by the public, and but uh, but we knew dealing with them how they manipulated the public. They Google, Facebook, and Amazon have done the exact same thing that uh, Uber has done. Yeah. They have they really have very little ethics. They care about the optics. But, you know, like, for example, on Facebook, they had, it was a, a couple of years ago that person in New Zealand, you know, live streamed his uh, attack on a church. Yes. I, you, yeah. know, was it, you know, over 20 people killed. Yep. So, tw- so 28 million people saw that, 28 million. Uh, so that's 28 million eyeballs. So that's that Facebook made money on that. Yeah, they did. No they, there's eyeballs. It's not about the quality of eyeballs. It's the quantity. They made money on that, you know. And then they, you know, they make a big show of taking it down and working on it. But did they give the money back? Did they give the money back to the church? They kept it. Of course. Yeah. Of course. You know, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, it's like these these people are like unethical. It's all they're they're you know there's they're psychopathic corporations. It's like the robber baron ages of the 1890, uh, 1890s, except except now they control information, you know, and they have the cute little, cute little, you know, the Google doodle. The Google <laughs> you know, doodle. The daily the, Google. <laughs> the game, then, daily then, Google. Yeah, doodle. right. And then, so and then, so like, you're saying the uh, four bucks a month I get for the podcast is is not fair? Is <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but uh, just uh, let me take it into yeah, to, right. to, let me take it into one other uh, one other thing though. Uh, I mean, the dead Kennedys, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were not a Billboard band. You didn't you didn't make your money by selling a whole bunch of singles and records. You made it through uh, the merchandising, through a great logo, through a great name, through through that whole vibe. Uh, talk to me about the importance of the merchandising for you, because your logo is ubiquitous. I mean, you look around and you see somebody with a patch that says "Dead Kennedy." So yeah, well, well let me let me correct you a little. Well, please, well, first please of do. All, on the on the logo, uh, uh, the logo is actually I, I created the logo, not not the finished version, but the original idea. Because on, on on my guitar, I put four pieces of tape, mm. and if you look at the DK, it's like basically four lines. Yeah, it could be. And taken. I did that actually, actually in seven. And actually one time Klaus found a photo of me. I had an armband with it on. You know, it looks uh, kind of like the SS, but. Right. <laughs> like but, but to be fair, I mean, again, uh, not, not again, but to but, be but, fair, but, but let me that logo back, gave back, you back, your, your career in a sense, right? Yeah. Well, the thing, no, the, the thing mer- is, 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 is uh, the, uh, basically there's, we, we owned a lot of our records. 
right uh, through, like fresh uh, fruit um, fresh fresh fruit was financed by cherry red in london right. but all the singles and all the other records we own the records so mm-hmm. we make so we make uh you know we do get a big big piece of the of the recordings and stuff right. you know whatever whatever google you know deems scraps they want to throw towards musicians and artists um and you know and merchandise is a big part and um you know then there's touring but that you know we're, we're not right. 20 anymore so <laughs> that's right. slowing down that's but I, i'm you know i'm so uh yeah the the logo the logo's you know great and iconic I mean, it's yeah. that and the Misfits shirt are like the two big things out yeah. there. You see the DK and, and the Crimson Skull like, running around, all over you know? the. Well, okay, so, so yeah. let me ask you about the record company because you set up Alternative Tentacles. Yes, um, I did. Was that because the record companies, CBS, Epic, Atlantic, were like, Ugh, we can't get involved, or was it just because you wanted to have that control? Talk to me about why. Alternative Tentacles was originally set up, and we'll stay out of the lawsuit and all that stuff that came after, but <laughs> because that was not pretty. But but talk to me about yeah, it's setting not, it it's up. It's not pretty having a bandmate skim money from you. No, it's not. No, <laughs> no. And that's what um, the court said in two thousand three. I guess it was two thousand whatever. Yeah, there, yeah. There was a I, yeah two thousand something. But let's get to the let's get to the genesis of it. How did you? Is, well, the original the original thing is is you know we, we were we had songs and we're playing and and people were making putting out their own seven inch singles. Mm-hmm. So so they I were bootlegging so I, you. I, so I talked the band in like we were, we took the gig money and I started I started saving it in an account and and then uh, I booked a recording studio. Um, we recorded the two songs California Brawls and Man mm-hmm. with the Dogs and then I, there was a pressing plant in texas i believe so we they sent the tapes off to them and had them send back a thousand seven inch singles and then at the time that, that you could take the records to um record stores and put them on consignment yep like that was a big thing back then so basically it was the drummer and i were basically selling records out of the back of our car so that's wow. really how alternative tentacles started um, and and we also like when we toured LA, we dropped them off at the different stores there, and um, and um, it also kind of came out when Biafra was running for mayor, so we had a lot of press. But ultimately, that that single we had to repress it numerous times. It went on to sell like six thousand of that original single. Wow! But let, let's take stock of that for a second. I mean, you're you're literally selling these these singles out of the back of your car, and here you are, <laughs> forty two years later. And the Dead Kennedys is one of the greatest names in punk. You're, 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 you have new product out. You're still, I mean, have you ever sat back and went, holy fuck, how did we, wow, <laughs> how did we do this? Well, it, there's two things involved. And right. uh, the, the, the first one is talent. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and you can yeah, play. Of course. It's half the battle. <laughs> yeah. More than yeah. half the battle. Yep. Yeah. And then the other half is kind of being, you know, in the right place at the right time and connecting with the right people. Right. Um, you know, we got, we got lucky. Uh, we did a, we did an East coast tour that where we lost, you know, lost thousands of dollars on, but a guy from England, Bob last was saw our show in, in New York, you know, there's maybe 30 people there. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he had fast, fast products records in Edinburgh. Right. So after the show, he called me up and said, let me put the single out in England. Um, uh, if you don't know Fast Products, uh, he, he was a very 
respected label in England. He had uh, the Gang of Four, yep. the Human League, and the Mekons. Yep. Human League is great. Yeah, so so he so he signed this, and that kind of, that's what you know. So that triggered our that's what you know triggered our career in in uh, England, and and also you know kind of bugged some people because at the time. Uh, you know, only the English could do punk rock. <laughs> it's ah, true. In, Eng- in England, that was the attitude. You know, the Ramones are okay, but they're not quite English punk. You know, no, the Ramones no. are the Ramones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no it, it's just a fascinating thing. Um, in terms of uh, Bedtime for Democracy, which is the last record, how come in, in you know, 46 years or 36 years or whatever, you haven't had this need to make new music. Oh, well, well, Dead Kennedys kind of stopped touring in 86. Well, true, but you're, you're I mean, you're still here and, and product did come out afterwards, a lot of compilations and live records. I mean, there was still stuff coming out. At, at no point did you sort of say, well, if we're going to put out a live record and we're going to put out a compilation, maybe we should make a new single. Maybe we should, maybe we should fire it up again. Well, there's there's certain there's a certain Shoot. party there's a certain party that doesn't thinks he wrote everything, right? Ah, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's politics. Uh. Politics. He's, he actually th- thinks he, he actually thinks he wrote everything, and and that was part of the legal case. And uh, of course, the th- fact of the matter is, he has not done one thing to touch what the band did, right? Actually, I'll ask you. Let me ask you this about writing credits, because this has always driven me crazy. You you look at a song, for example, like "Walk This Way" by Aerosmith or "Sweet Emotion" by Aerosmith, and it says, you know, written by Steven Tyler, and you go, yeah, but if Tom Hamilton's bass isn't on, like, isn't songwriting everybody who played on the song? Because uh, you know, the guitar solo is iconic, the bass line's iconic, the drum fills it. I mean. A song is is all the parts, no? Yes, right. Yes, that that's when we were setting up Dead Kennedys. Uh, um, actually, I got this idea from the Talking Heads and Los Lobos, in that uh, that the musicians that played on the record um, always got a piece of the songwriting. Well, they should. No matter. Yes, they should. But <laughs> but it's also very very rare. I know, and it's wrong. I mean, try try singing your lyrics that you wrote with no guitar or no drum or no band, just just well, you and your I mean, lyrics. I, I, mean, I disagree in a sense, though, because if you look at all the session players that come in, if you look at a Shania Twain record where Mutt Lang has Brent Mason on guitar and Dan Huff and Paul Franklin and uh, all these right. guys performing, I mean, like they're big, they're getting paid to write those parts for the day, and then they're bought out as a session guy. Oh, yeah, okay, a work for hire is different. A work for hire is different. Yeah, that's a work for hire, and they're well paid for. Yeah. See, the thing is, is they don't take the risk. In a band, you're all paying for the recording session. Yeah, you're all pay- and 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 I, I know plenty of musician friends where they never recovered their recording costs. Yeah, the recoup, right. the recoupment. Yeah, they've them. never they've never recouped. So, so so the studio guys are not taking any risk. You know, right. give give me whatever their rate is, and 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 you know, and like. Uh, they probably work on. They probably played on more sessions that have lost money than on sessions that have been hits. Yeah, yeah. 
and they made you know, money no matter what because they got no, paid yeah, for possessions. Exactly. So that's that's the difference, you know. That's the difference. Yeah. And 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 I've talked to a lot of the guys from the '80s hair metal scene, and they're telling me, you know, uh, our lead singer was, uh, you know, had two Lamborghinis, a pool, three houses. And I was still living with mom and, you know, I was on the same records. I was on the same tour. And, and that to me has always struck me as wrong. I mean, if you're, if you're on the record and you're on the tour and you're part of the, the team, mm-hmm. well, I mean, you know, well, that's, that's, that's what I did in the band. I was, I was the team player and tried to make it fair. And that's, that's, you know, and that's what the bat the court case battle was about. I mean, there was a period early, early in our career when, when uh, somebody brought in an attorney to advise us. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that attorney was also working for the person at the same time, which is ah, conflict of conflict of interest, <laughs> which which we didn't know about and, and is t- highly unethical. And you need yeah. to get a signed comment. We were not informed of that. So, like, for example, uh, you know, this and this. So that if that that it, hair made a banyard, that that's probably what happened is somebody came in and. Like, okay, you grab all the song publishing and we'll not talk to the other people. Yeah, um, that's what they did. It, like the, it, that actually happened in the Beach Boys, from what I understand, in that the, the father of the Wilson brothers gave all the songwriting credit to Brian. Mm-hmm. And Mike Love uh, and apparently wrote a lot of lyrics. Yeah. And, and, no. and, and so Mike Love, Mike Love was, you know, there, he's a kid, right? you know 19 20 20 year old kid this guy's making you know they're getting recording at capitol studios touring everything you know they're seeing money and meanwhile this guy's scraping off the song credits to the to the wilson brothers yep. and uh i understand there's a court case later and, and mike love you know they had to pay him 30 million dollars that's how Good much God. so much they stole from him over time right <laughs> so it's so if you, if you don't if you don't i mean i'm luckily i had this book the business of music before before the band started, it had contracts in there and it told about all the games. And, and this, that's why, you know, I was the one that protected the band from mm-hmm. being ripped off. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, like, I mean, one of the, there's a band here in San Francisco called the Avengers, mm-hmm. great band and great songs, but they unfortunately signed with this character that was crooked. You know, oh, and and yeah. and and and, 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 and that killed them. You know, and they didn't know how to. They didn't know. They didn't. They didn't know how to protect themselves. Colonel I Tom, I think it's Parker, fair man. to say that everybody you sign with is crooked, quite quite frankly. But it also leads well, to a no, lot of resentments, not, that right? Is, that is not. That is not fair to say. That is it's, not. It's, it's, oh, okay. I mean, Lookout Records is good. Um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the guy we have now, Manos Fossil Record, is straight up. Uh, and actually, Ian McNay, the Cherry Red Records in England, has always been straight with it. The, the smart ones that yeah. that that are into getting talent and and promoting talent, uh, you know, that's how they make their money. Make make them into a star. <laughs> Don't yeah. steal them. From and them. Cherry Red, by the way, they've been putting out some great reissues. When you get a reissue from Cherry Red, it's done well. It's just done super super well. Um. Oh, have, right. Have, wait, until, wait, wait until you see the booklet that comes with the CD and LP. Oh, I can't wait. 20, um, 28 pages. And, and, I, and, and sonically, it's going to be spectacular. Cherry Red just never fails. It's a brilliant record. Level. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this. One last question for me. Uh, the Dead Kennedys at the time in the early 80s was essentially the anti-establishment band. You, you know, it was you were fighting the power in a sense. And... 
ironically, now you're sort of part of the establishment. You're part of the rock establishment, and you've got, you know, everybody loves your logo, and everybody reveres you. Is that is that sort of strange that you became sort of part of, of the big machine? Big machine? <laughs> what are you talking well, about? Well, the fact that, that you became a band that is part of, you know, everybody I loves think, you. I think, I think you're talking like a 13-year-old here, if I, if I may say so. No disrespect, but, <laughs> no, it's, but, fine. but, but, but it's like, uh, you know, like if, uh, you know, this has happened, you know, back in the day, you know. So if a band starts getting a bigger audience right. and, 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 and quitting their day jobs, right. you're a sellout. sellout. <laughs> they're a sellout and and that that is a 13 year old's idea and also like if you're making money you're not an artist well right. no, that it's, to, not, it's tell, not tell that to picasso what 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 selling what selling out is is when you when you change your music right. in order to chase a bigger audience yeah and we ne we never changed our music so. No, and 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 uh, I wasn't referring to it as a sellout. I'm just I was I was more referring to it in terms of acceptance. I mean, when you first came out, critics and 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 writers and journalists were like, "Ugh, who's this band?" And now everybody <laughs> wants to talk to you, and and I think that's great. It's it's not a question of selling out. It's a question of well, I think it was the fans that it was the fans that spoke really. Well, they changed minds, yeah. and I thought that's great. I mean, the, the other thing is, I mean, and, and, you know, back in the day, there was lots and lots of political bands. Of course. And one of the reasons we are around is the music. I mean, I mean, I don't know, you know, back in the day, you know, my parents had Bob Newhart comedy records and Stan Freeberg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you recognize those names, you know, but, but a comedy record, you listen to it two or three times and you're done. Yeah. With music, you can listen to a hundred times. It's time. So, you know, so a band that's like just features a lot of political stuff, but the music's average, you know, they'll be good for one, two years and then poof. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is, you know, Dead Kennedys are a rock band. Yep. You know, yep. and, but, you know, and, and we're blue collar people, but it's how we make our living. Yeah. And you can play. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and we have talent. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, I and, agree. Uh, anyway, I, I wasn't uh, <laughs> suggesting you were selling out. I was suggesting that that you became accepted. So that's first of all, Mitch. It's not selling out. Okay. It's buying in. Never sell out. Always buy in. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Well, the, the, you know, the, as an artist, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, people have this image of punk bands, but as an artist, you basically want people to hear what you're doing. Well, yeah or a painter wants people to look at their paintings. Mm -hmm. And so if, so if you do what you do, what you want to do and more people like it, that means you're a better artist. Well, you want to bring as many people under the tent as possible, right? It's about community. It's about communication. It's about communication. And, and, you know, you, I mean, I don't know exactly what we communicate. I mean, there's humor and energy, but I mean, you know, playing live, it's the energy, you know, that's what it's like. Might you see us play live, you know, with DH and Klaus and Skip, you know, the energy is just amazing. It's like a, it's like a hurricane, yeah. a train, a train, train going down. And, and to, to be honest, you know, back in the day, because we're all kind of young and immature and insecure, uh, half the shows were junk. And now, now we kind of hit it every single time. I mean, the, the, you know, 90, 95% of the time we hit it at, we hit it at, click on all cylinders because it's like, oh, it's not about us. It's about the music. 
Always is. Yeah. Bottom yeah. line. You have, to remind, the, you have to remind the audience and musicians that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not about the merch uh, and uh, you know the video screens. It's it's about what's coming through the PA and gets bodies into the into the freaking hall. You know. Yeah, it's about the music. Yeah, right. I mean, we don't have any big props or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no explosions. You don't got the big giant DK sign behind the Kiss style. No, it doesn't explode. We have we, we have a uh, we have a banner and. Uh, yeah, that's and all you we need. Have a dig- digital version of the banner. <laughs> yeah, let the music do the talking. Talking about that fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. Uh, big remix treatment by Chris Lord Algae coming out on September 30th via Manifesto Records. You can pre order it now wherever you get your music. Features all kinds of really cool bonus stuff as well. And this packaging, it's absolutely phenomenal. Pre order it now. Go pick it up. Awesome stuff. Uh, man, it was so great to chat with you and meet you. This was really cool, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the discussion and, and, uh, uh, I didn't mean to get hard on the sellout thing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Listen, it's fine. It's part. That's what that's what makes the show interesting is that you you exchange ideas, and sometimes it flies, sometimes it doesn't, but yeah. it makes for great content. So no, thank yeah, you, well, thank I you. Think, I, yeah, I think the thing is, you know, like like we ended up having consensus on it's it's you know if you're doing what you're doing as an artist, and more people like it, that's fine. Ray, let me put it to you like this. Mitch is the biggest Bon Jovi fan on the planet. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Hey, first of, all, bon, first of all, Bon Jovi's great. No, but, you know, people always say uh, Metallica sold out. And my answer is always, is, is always, yeah, they sell out stadiums every time they tour. So bugger off. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that weird, that's that weird thing. Like, uh, uh, that's really, really about the listener. Like, they have some pet band that plays in the club. Right. And then the band does the same music and plays the Colosseum. They won't listen to them anymore. Yeah, and that's just so, so nonsense. They were, so they were really, so they were listening to the band as a, as a fashion accessory to show how cool they were, rather than listening to them for the music. Yeah, exactly. They're the sellouts because yeah. they just want to be hipsters. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, so so exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, uh, you sir. Thank you. Right. That was great. Bye. All right. Cheers. See you later, Ray. Bye. An all-new episode of the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews. Bonus content. And episodes on demand now. Visit YouTube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch LaFon and at Jeremy White MTL.